Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This poem is plagiarized. Oh, now I stole it. A minute ago you said it stunk. It does stink. Leave it to you to not have the sense to steal something worthwhile. Well, you know, I realize that it's tough to have somebody come along and swipe your dreams of glory, so I will not take offense at that remark. That poem is fraudulent, and I intend to find its true source, even if I have to search through every greeting card to do so. Ah. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and with me to discuss the 10th episode of Cheers Season 5, the pod crasher himself, Tim Price. Welcome back, Tim. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I, I just got to tell you, I came right back from vacation and came straight to do this recording with you. So I made sure not to miss any of it. And I'll tell you, Graceland does not disappoint me. <laughs> Your annual Elvis pilgrimage. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Did you, that, did you think that I was going down to see Elvis? That, how'd you catch on to that? That's pretty great. All of the souvenirs that you probably didn't study didn't. I got like, my drop I got those my, off at home. You get, uh, yeah, I, I'm still wearing my hat, and I've still got my <laughs> pennant, my big old Elvis T-shirt, and I got this great cardboard cutout picture of myself with Elvis, and I pr- I look pretty lifelike. <laughs> Oh, it's a wonderful bit that we will talk about in a few it minutes. Is. <laughs> um, as I said, we're talking about season five, episode 10, Everyone Imitates Art. This episode is written by Heidi Perlman, directed by Jim Burroughs, and the original air date was Thursday, December 4th, 1986. Diane is over the moon to receive a rejection letter from a literary magazine confident that the text of said rejection is full of encouragement and promise. She refuses to accept Sam's assessment that it's a standard form letter. So he sets out to prove it to her by submitting a poem of his own, thinking he will receive the exact same letter. He doesn't, though. Instead, Sam's poem is published, much to Diane's shock. After reading the poem, Diane is certain that she's read it before and sets out to prove that Sam plagiarized his submission. She obsesses over it for days, surviving on nothing but coffee and cigarettes while pouring through every book and journal, hunting for the elusive poem. She only gives up when Woody tells her that he submitted a poem to the same magazine and got the same rejection letter she got, thus proving Sam's assertion that it was just a form letter. Crushed, Diane must confront the prospect that she will never be a published writer, that she is now what she always will be, nothing but a waitress. Sam takes her into the office to snap her out of her depression and confesses that he did copy his poem after all, but it wasn't taken from any published work. He submitted a poem under his name that Diane wrote to him years ago. Diane is first relieved to have solved the mystery and then ecstatic to learn that her words were in fact published. Then she switches to anger at Sam for putting her through hell. Then, overcome with love at the realization that he kept the love letter all this time. She is certain that means he still loves her and wants to be with her. Sam looks her in the eye and tells her she's wrong. He doesn't love her anymore and she needs to accept it and move on. But once Diane leaves the office, Sam puts the love letter in a carefully secured stack of letters that he has saved all this time. 
Diane sneaks back in and catches him in the act of preserving her letter, confirming her suspicion that he does love her no matter how hard he tries to deny it. All right. Um, I didn't even mention the, the somewhat of a B plot with Carla going to Graceland, and that was still probably my longest episode synopsis that I've ever written. It was um, pretty involved. I must it admit. Was, there, there was and you, like and you a had lot get... going on in this for just having one major plot. I, so cards on the table. I love this episode. Maybe my favorite of the season that we've gotten so far. And considering mm-hmm. we had like abnormal psychology, which was like, as everyone described it, the pilot, the the, uh, the, yeah. the stealth pilot for the Fraser and Lilith show. But this one feels old school Sam and Diane. Like this reminds me mm-hmm. of their much better years. Um, and like even like the fact that the last seven minutes of the episode are all in the office and it's just the two of them. We don't see anybody else like that felt very old school first couple seasons of the show. Oh, yeah. This I'm a pretty easy mark, and I've been on your show a few times, which I'm always grateful for. And it's been pretty easy to see that, one, I love Shelley Long, and two, I think her portrayal of Diane is incredible. Always love her in that. Uh, oddly, I haven't been on any episodes really which were centered on Diane before, but this one, without a doubt, is a Diane-centric episode. And it's just amazing. I, and that's also where I kind of go, am I good at being an impartial critic and saying like, is, is this going to be, am I, is it just me or do other people really appreciate this episode as much as I do? And I'd have no clue. So I will freely admit that because <laughs> I just love the focus. I love the character and I love the beats that, that happens here, the development that happens in this particular episode. So, you know, I, I know, I know myself well enough to know I'm not going to be able to judge and say, if this is really something that's going to be, it's a great episode. It's like, no, I love it a lot though. I'll say that. I mean, I watched a couple times just getting ready for the, for the show, you know, another time to kind of like cement some notes. And then it's like, huh, do I want to watch it again? Just because <laughs> just to enjoy it again. <laughs> it's just that enjoyable. Yeah. That's it's, it's just a great one. I, I think part of it, like we had a couple episodes in the beginning of this season that were written by some guest writers that were coming along just sort of mm. like, okay, they, here's like the story structure handed down from like the, the showrunners and everything. And they get their little tryout episodes. And then those writers go off to, you know, launch their own sitcoms or work on other projects and everything. Right. Um, we've only had a couple episodes written by some veteran cheers writers, Heidi Perlman, obviously one of the big ones. She was a showrunner yes. for a couple of years and mm-hmm. she's back here and she knows these characters so well. Um, and that's why I felt like like this just the voice felt really spot on for this one, and it felt, I mean, this is uh, it's not the it's not the first time this season that Diane didn't annoy me, but I mean, mm-hmm. I haven't been really thrilled with her character this season, even when she's been you know maybe the MVP of an episode, but uh, mm, this right. time in particular, uh, yeah, such such a good one of to have her be you know, in lost in her own world, refusing to accept this rejection at the beginning, which Sam is like, this is the same thing you do. I like the little microcosm. It's like, this is exactly when you said you, we were going to get married. And I said, I never want to see you again. And you just refuse to accept this. <laughs> and they took that, which had been so annoying for a couple of episodes and put this like made that the seed for this other episode about this other kind of rejection that she refuses and it just sprung into this great thing and we get to see Shelly 
so like well, laid so low that she's just sitting there smoking and drinking coffee and like obsessing mm-hmm. over this poem. Oh, it's such it's so amazing. It's funny. Well, I will admit that I'm usually not very good at paying attention to the writers and directors on shows, but you know, going through it like this as following your podcast has been much easier for me to do that and to remind her to pay attention. So when I see the opening credits and I see write, uh, written by Heidi Perlman come up, it's like, oh, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. Because every time Heidi has written a show, written an episode, I've been loving them. Uh, even though they typically have been, the previous ones I remember more clearly are ones focused on Carla, but this is obviously, you know, she's, you know, br- branching out. It's like, no, she's not just being brought in as a ringer for Carla's centric episodes anymore. It's like, no, no, she's going to take on the whole cast. Yeah, that, and, that was how she started. Wonderful. It was- yeah, the way Heidi Perlman started, it was she was writing really for her sister. Uh, and she mm-hmm. was like kind of the head of the Carla-centric episodes. But along the way, she was like, no, she's she can she can stretch out. She knows the voices for all these characters. And she Absolutely. can get it all. That, that was really good, really refreshing to see. Um, so the episode starts our, our teaser. We got one of those really simple teasers where Woody is mm-hmm. the only one on screen. And it's late at night after closing. And he's sweeping up the bar and he's listening to the radio. And a commercial comes on the radio. It's an advertisement for a teaching course in how to teach court stenography for a job. Like if it's if this oh, is, yeah. if you if you want to get into the exciting profession of court stenography, where you meet all sorts of interesting people, um, and paid good money. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> and and Woody starts to listen to this, and he's kind of like falling under. He's like, "Yeah, this sounds pretty good. This is good action." They're like. The three requirements are you need good listening skills, speed, and accuracy. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine where this goes from there because Woody has to copy down the phone number, which they repeat three or four times in pretty rapid succession, and he can never get it down right. And so he just gives up. Uh, I love this open. I love this open. It's It's simple and easy to identify with. We've all heard those ads. Mm-hmm. And and to see one and Woody being, but Woody wouldn't really care about being a court stenographer. He's a bartender. He made the big point of coming to the big city to be a bartender. So yeah. it's not, you don't overthink it though. This is just a spur of the moment, little bit about what's going on when you're alone late at night and it comes on the radio and it's all of a sudden, huh? And, but, <laughs> but, you know, good ear, accuracy and speed. And it's like, Woody cannot get the, the numbers down <laughs> yeah. after after three tries and it's just right. like just stops put the pencil down back to whistling and sweeping up behind the bar <laughs> yeah like, i think it yeah. i think it shows more of his susceptibility like what he's the yes. type of person who if he's watching the home shopping network he's he's gonna try and buy the most ridiculous thing that they advertise because he can fall under that spell like Absolutely. he doesn't want to be a court stenographer. He doesn't. They even make a joke later on in the episode where they're talk. The guys are talking about reincarnation, and you know, like what could happen if, like, with re- with other lives. And he says, "I hope in my next life I come back as the president of France, or the king of France, or something like that." And the gang is like, "Why is that?" What he's like, "I just think it would draw a lot of attention to the bar." <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's still thinking like he'd be the president of France, but also working at Cheers and like. That would be a draw. Yeah. So more yeah. more business. <laughs> so um, right there, right there. Also, Heidi Perlman. I don't know how much she's written for Woody, but you know she gives him just good little bits right, right. here in this episode. Um, the other thing, like, that- and that's not like not even a plot thing. Those are just these are not part of the plot. These are just side bits thrown in just to 
break up mm-hmm. the rest of the action. Yeah. And yeah, I like how that worked. Like- I like how that worked well here. Yeah, and I, I have no idea. It seems almost like one of those kind of like bottle things where like it's like okay for this teaser, we you you can only afford you can only pay one actor. What can you do with just one person on set? Mm, uh-huh, and right. I gotta imagine that the whole radio program was probably done as like a voiceover in ADR. So yeah, I'm I think thinking so. mm-hmm. on the set, it's just Woody Harrelson acting the scene, and probably like a script girl or, or like a tech or somebody just reading the directions, reading the dialogue to him. And he's got mm-hmm. to react to that and everything like that. So that's, I mean, testament to his, to his acting chops that he was, he he's given us so good as he, the only person there on the set. Yeah. He did a really great job. Yeah. Um, then we, once the, after the credits, once we get into it, Carla storms in, cursing mad because she wants to go to her annual trip to memphis but nick won't take the kids that weekend and she said she claims that he says that his appendix burst and sam's like well that sounds serious and she's his appendix bursts whenever i need something and woody has a great joke to that one he's like eh, if he was smart he'd have that removed <laughs> that was i love that moment and you know this whole bit with carla is like about the only b plot you can kind of say we have in this episode uh, and, and like the totally whole less, thing total it, probably only takes like a minute of the actual like screen time. Well, I love I love Carla's line when she comes in. I was like, of all the stinking, dirty, rotten, maggot sucking, vermin infested stink weeds. Like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. just that's just beautiful. <laughs> and Norma's like, wow, you practice for your mother of the year speech or something like that. And she just looks <laughs> and just, shut up. She's, like, she's like in no mood to like even entertain the stuff. Um, is this the first time that Carla has mentioned Elvis? I just thought about that. Ooh, that's a good question. Because that is a thing. It definitely becomes one later on. Yeah. yeah. This might be the first time she mentioned El- that we really see her Elvis fandom. Oh, that is a, I, mm. Maybe. I can't remember when that might have come up before. A good catch. I think this yeah, is. Yeah, I yeah. think this is the first time we hear about her. Her, her Elvis fandom and not allow, like going to Graceland and everything is a big part of her life and her traditions. Woo. Thank you, Memphis. I'm out. <laughs> 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 because she she mentions like, how important this was. And she's like, how often does the 10th anniversary of Elvis's death come, like, occur or something like that? And Woody's like, don't ask me. I wasn't a fan. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause, cause that's, cause that's where, cause Nick relents and this is all done over the phone so we don't see nick in this episode just carla on the phone with him and even even though we don't see nick he almost gets my favorite line in the show oh no it's it's carla's response to it when she when eventually she's the next time we see her a couple of minutes later she talked to him and we find out that yeah he has agreed he will take the kids and everything and she can still go on the trip and she says something to him she's like you're not as the horrible maggot thing like basically you're not Mm -hmm. as terrible as i thought and everything she's kind of letting him off the hook and she goes no, this is not an attempt at reconciliation. <laughs> just filling like, in the gaps of what he said, like what right. he heard her yeah. say and what he thought that meant. I was like, oh, God, Nick. Yeah. With, with, with Loretta probably somewhere in, on the other <laughs> end probably, of the line. Yeah, L- Loretta was probably heard the whole thing and just like, la, 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 la. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, yeah Nick comes through very clearly. Even when he's not on screen. <laughs> 
And then I think, yeah, the third time around is when she comes back and she comes back from Grace and apparently did not go home, did not stop anywhere, went right mm-hmm. to work because she's got all of her souvenirs and all of her Elvis merch. Or Carla is such a fan that's no, she's going to be carrying all that around for a week. Because just the just the, just the fact that yeah oh oh yeah I did go to Graceland <laughs> basically like me after my first trip to Disney World but I was oh. in kindergarten so yeah you were still I, wearing the ears weren't you it wasn't the ears so much it was, I, I looted the Pirates of the Caribbean gift shop so Ooh. I dressed I dressed as a pirate for every day and basically until Halloween love it I love it yeah. she shows the photo that she got with Elvis and you know Woody says wow how'd they do that. And she, <laughs> it's cardboard cutouts. Gosh, you look almost lifelike. So do you, Woody. So do you. <laughs> I I love that that stinger of the so do you, Woody. And and it's not mean spirited Carla saying it either. No, it's, it's a little sarcastic, but it's mostly it's almost endearing yeah. the way she says it, just there, right there. But here I had I did have one other note about this. Hmm. Carla was in Graceland for a week. Oh, yeah. What do you think Diane has been doing the past week? Well, I know that she's very much cares about how well she performs on the job as a waitress. So I'm <laughs> sure that she was putting in pe- extra hours. Customers. I know. It's like, how is anybody getting their drinks? I wrote that in Fuck, It's a busy bar. It's crowded and everything. I was like, they, you have no waitress. You have two bartenders. Nobody mm-hmm. walking around tables. I was like, who is giving these people their drinks? <laughs> I, I Yeah, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, so taking it back to the beginning and everything, when Diane comes in, uh, she submitted this poem to a literary magazine called Zizigy. Um Get out! We, yeah, <laughs> Woody's response, I love that response from Woody, yeah. Yes, it's so good. It was, um, it's so honest and so sincere. Yes. Like, 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 he, like he understands the importance of it, even though he has never heard of it before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and fun fact, my, uh, my closed caption, as I was watching the digital copy, doesn't know mm. how to spell syzygy properly. Oh, <laughs> it's just, like, just approximate. And I was like, all right, credits, but, um, she, she got the rejection letter, but she called it a soon and inevitably to be published letter. Um, and yeah, they, they're, mm-hmm. Sam calls it, he compares it to her her refusal to take any kind of rejection seriously, which is the same thing that happened after he mm-hmm. said he didn't want to, he wasn't going to propose to her again. And uh, yeah, well, what does he say? He, yeah, he, when he decides that he'll, to prove it, he'll, pro, he'll send his own le- poem to the magazine and he'll get the exact same letter. He goes, I can be just as much of a reject as you. <laughs> oh, that's so good. One of the things that also I was noticing on this is it's not too surprising how much Diane accentuates the two syllables in poem, but Ted Danson was almost deliberately trying to shorten it into a single syllable. Poem. Uh, I can write a poem. Yeah. <laughs> What's the big deal about writing a poem? You just have to rhyme. Yeah. It's like, he really was like, po- and hearing him say poem versus Diane's poem and just the contrast, I, I just, it just jumped out at me when, you know, cause I was watching, you know, 10 times in the last two days. Yeah, so, wow. <laughs> but yeah. Did you happen to look up what syzygy means? I did. I actually, I, I've heard of it like in some kind of, like I knew the word, but I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I had to actually look it up for this one once. Like I heard the word yeah. again. I um, never knew. I did not know what it was. I had it, to look it up. <laughs> 
it's essentially like a, a strong contrast of themes or or sort of like objects or, or themes in conflict with each other um mm-hmm. light and dark things like that kind of like um like, like sort of opposites that seem to be like not just opposites but like some kind of like like conflict or something between them um, yeah, I, I wonder if Heidi Perelman came up with the name of Syzygy or if another one of the writers helped out with that. Good question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's a great word for a poetry magazine because it has the two most important things. One, it sounds pretentious. <laughs> and two, it sounds cool without admitting that that's the only reason you picked it was because it sounds cool. I mean, you have to have some big, you know, extrapolate reason like, oh, because we're going to be having these contrasting viewpoints and authors. And stuff. No, you do, you got the name because it's cool. OK, we all yeah. know that. <laughs> <laughs> just to, just at least own up that it's because it's cool. I, you, you mentioned like, I like how like Sam was like, yeah, just put some words together, make sure they rhyme. And, and she kind of says, poem, not all poems have to rhyme. He's like, that makes it even easier. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when he eventually walks over by. Uh, Norman Cliff and even Fraser. He's like, hey, do you guys know anything about writing poetry? And I was like, I know how to make fun of it. And, <laughs> and even Fraser gives him a little bit of a laugh at that one. Right. Oh, yeah. I also yeah. liked um, in that bit when Sam is, he says, I'll just write a poem. And he just stands there and he's looking thoughtful at the bar just for a second. And Diane's there at the, at the corner, just smirking and watching him, <laughs> just waiting for him to start. And I just, I just thought, thought that was delightful looking. I mean, it just, she just, she just, uh, just not trying to be mean, but it's like, come uh, on, you're not really yeah. doing this. Yet. Come on. Come on. She's a little condescending, little condescending. Uh, and then we flash forward what must be three weeks later at this point, because she comes in and she asks him if he's gotten his rejection letter yet. And he says, no. And she's mm-hmm. like, she says, well, I got mine within two weeks. And now it's three weeks later and you haven't gotten yours. Surely this must prove the point. And then she mm-hmm. sees the latest copy of the magazine on the counter. And she's like, what's this? He's like, well, you know, I just said, if I'm going to write a poem, I should at least, you know, have some reference of what they're looking for. And he kind of mm-hmm. like, kind of like slow walks up to it, which you can, if you're attentive, you can kind of see it coming a mile away. But he's like, there's one that I really like that I, I took as inspiration. You can read it too. It's on page 37. And she gets to it, she opens it up, she goes, Nocturne by Sam Malone. And she doesn't even finish his name. She yes. drops and screams. <laughs> oh, that Sam Malone. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, yeah. And just the look of horror and disbelief is amazing. I want to I wanna shout out real quickly uh, Diane's outfits in this episode. I'm, I'm, I know this weird to be pulling this out because that's not really normally my thing. But you know, she has just great, she always has, she always dresses well. I mean, that's one thing about Diane is that she always dresses well, but for right. some reason it really stood out this particular episode. I don't know particularly why, probably because of the contrast, what she wears at the end of the episode, Okay. you know, but she like, she starts with this black and white checkered kind of dress thingy in the opening in her first scene. And then in this one, she's got like a, a, a pink jacket and a pink vest and a skirt with a white blouse and a brooch at the collar and it's like you know she always just looks like such a professional and we're going to have that and then in a in in the after this scene in the in the basically the final one of the episode it's like she's completely gone downhill to wearing <laughs> but she's still wearing like this this artist's gray scarf yes. around her <laughs> neck but blue jeans and an oversized 
shirt with pastel colors all over and kind of like a top, an aqua color top on it. Her hair's tied back and smoking the cigarettes. Like it's kind of hipster. It's a little hipsterish, but I just, it's some reason of all the other characters, usually their, their clothing is basically interchangeable and mm-hmm. not no and not supposed to be noticed it's really not they, they all have a similar they all have a style that's to them but you're not you're not really going to notice you're not going to really notice what norm is wearing from one scene to the next it probably it might change but he's not gonna be noticed cliff obviously he wears the same thing all the time uh and sam has a look but he doesn't but his it can change subtly but you don't really necessarily notice it diane very dramatically has a different look every time you see her when it should be a different scene Mm-hmm. especially in this episode and i just i just thought it was i just thought it was great very cool cool catch mm-hmm. we come back from the commercial and she has read the poem and and uh she says i i have decided that it's amateurish crap basically is what she tells them <laughs> she's like the, and then she in order to support her theory, she starts reading it to the guys and the the line she reads i fly through the Puckish arena where echoes dance, where echoes dance, where echoes dance. And then she kind of cocks her head to the side. She's like, this sounds familiar. To which Norm is like, well, you just read it three times. And Kelsey Grammer is standing behind him and just kind of shaking his head, laughing about it. Like, Frazier, no matter where he is, like, he was so in the moment. Yeah. And so, like, he, mm-hmm. he always had the best reactions to everybody else's jokes. Yes, yes. Frazier was really, we don't have much of him. We haven't had much of him yet in this episode, except for when, you know, oh, well, quick little line that he had early on uh, when Diane's talking about her soon to be inevitably accepted letter. And he says, <laughs> wow, I really, um, I'm feeling some for you, Diane. Oh, good. It's passed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he's laughing about it. It's like, I'm just teasing. <laughs> And he wants to, and he looks at the letter. Uh, but yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this episode. But what he does really f- is, is, is Frazier. It's his character filling, doing what he should be doing. Um, not, none right. of the other characters could have done what he was doing in those moments uh, or wouldn't have done it the same way. And he, he delivers it and does it just hilarious. He's just so funny each time. Mm-hmm. So after she's accused Sam of plagiarism, he's like, a minute ago, you said it stinks. And she goes, it does stink. Leave it to you to not to even steal something worthwhile. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so then, oh, mm-hmm. God. Well, I was just going to say, you know, that line says that, that she read, where echoes dance, where echoes dance, where echoes dance. I want to put a pin in that and come back to that later. All right. Um, uh, so, yeah, but then after we, we come back from another like change of time and we get the, a little bit more advancement in the Carla plot. Um, and at this point, Diane comes in, and this is where she's in her most undone Diane we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. She's like, coffee, Woody, and she's like, Leave, give me the whole pot. And she's just sitting there, like, smoking, and she's got the, like, the stack of books and journals and everything, and she's like, it's definitely a post-war poem, not British, because the syntax is wrong. She's like, I, I think it might be regional, <laughs> and she's, like, going this whole, like, detective thing. Like, she must find this out. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, well, and I love Woody's reaction here. It's like, I mean, all she does is read, read, read. I bet she goes through a book a week. <laughs> and and honestly, uh, I feel seen. Okay, fine, Woody. I feel seen. Uh, but that was so good. I mean, 
I, I'm a slow reader, so I like, yeah, for, like yeah. but I, I get the joke. I, like, I know what he's hinting at. I was like, I, I could probably be reading through the books as much as she does, and it still would take me a week to finish. One, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, get, I get what he's he's hinting at. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> when Sam comes in, he, he's actually trying to sympathize with her, and he says, it's not easy to watch the people you scoffed at run past you while you remain stuck in the mud like a weighted down elephant. And then he looks back at the gang on the other side of the bar, and he's so proud of himself. He's like, I made that up. Really? Yeah, see, oh, that's cementing right there in Diane's mind. Oh, you plagiarized that poem. Of course. <laughs> There's no course, way yeah. with, with that that you wrote that poem. No way. So. But, but, it's beyond, but it's beyond that Diane has been obsessing over this thing because now she confesses that she has writer's block and she can't even finish any of her own poems. Mm-hmm. And the samples that she brings out, which are all unfinished, all seem to have the same kind of theme. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of noticed that. <laughs> like death of a shallow bartender and stuff like that. <laughs> Hurricane of Wills. Oh. <laughs> a bartender dismembered. Dismembered. <laughs> dismembered. And, yes. and Frazier does try to put it to her because he's just like, you know, like you can't feel so bad that like Sam got published because what could the magazine's circulation be? 600 people? And Diane stands up and backs Frazier into the bar and gives him the crazy eyes because she goes on a rant that he is mm-hmm. clearly like, okay, I haven't seen this side of you. <laughs> she's, she's talking and about he's how seen her in a six- sanitarium. Exactly. That's how they met. <laughs> but she's talking about how the 600 people who get the magazine, leave them on uh, in taxis and buses and doctor's offices. And then they get picked up and they get taken on airplanes. And she mentions like, all the remotest parts of the earth, like Tierra del Fuego <laughs> and Sierra Leone or something like that. She's like, but pretty soon I defy you to find me a house, a hut, an igloo, or a wiki up that doesn't have a copy of this co- on the coffee table. Oh, and and she, is so, she is so fervent in that moment. She yes. is so crazy-eyed, manic. Yes. The, the, the coffee and sleeplessness is is just coming through and, you know, and she just delivers it. She's just delivering yeah. that line. So great. And it bubbles over because that means that every person in the whole world will know that Sam got published and she didn't. It collapses into this child. It collapses into this childish and I did not sort of thing. Like, <laughs> Oh my, you, you the, the extremes here first is a clinical and, analytical and then manic and now just sobbing practically right right and yeah the the different degrees the different levels she goes to because then it's finally like when when you think she's at her lowest then Mm -hmm. it's got to be woody to inadvertently bring her even lower because he shows her that he got as he describes it one of her soon and inevitably to be accepted letters Right. He shows her and and that's when she says, Oh my god, Sam was right. And that is like the most crushing defeat. It's not just because then it's not just about whether or not Sam stole the letter and plagiarized it. It's that she got the exact same form letter that Woody did. If Woody wrote a poem and got that form letter and she got the same thing, then it's no longer a matter of what what Sam accomplished or 
or plagiarized or stole. It's all about her failures and her inadequacies and she can't run away from that. And she just like breaks down and yep. she's like, she's like, I'm a waitress at a bar hall and not even a very good one. <laughs> well, and, you know, and, but for, and first off, like, you know, she's still being still managing to be condescending to Woody. <laughs> the fact that just, yes. you don't know how good Woody's poem was. <laughs> so you're kind of being judgmental about Woody without knowing what the poem is. But anyway, but yes, yeah, just just collapsing into utter despair. Yeah. Um, and her acceptance um, of the fact that she is now just a waitress, she repeats it three or four times, mm-hmm. much like the repeated line in the poem <laughs> where echoes dance. Yes, that's why I put up. That's why I wanted a pin in that particular moment because, yeah. on you know, when I first watched this episode, I would never have caught that. Mm. Never caught that. But when you see it here, it's like, oh wait, yeah, the and little little clue about what's to come up in the next mo- next yeah. scene. And and she says it three. She says the line I think three times mm-hmm. and delivers it three different ways as mm-hmm. it just kind of like slumps and becomes more and more wrote less less of the declaration more of just like almost like the the epitaph on her on her tombstone or something like that it's just like carved in stone and it's that cold and right. she's like yeah, i can't can't avoid it and that's when just the guy at the next table is just like hey can you take our drinks and she just bursts and just <laughs> oh so um, good and then and then sam has to be like hey come on let's let's get you into the office and she won't move. She won't get out of the table. So he has to actually push the chair all the way across the bar. And I love that. I love the visual of that. It, it, and because it moves really, it moves very smoothly and everything. And if you, I don't know if you uh, saw it, you probably did, is that when Diane's monologue starts in this part, Cliff and Norm have moved down to the other corner of the bar. So they're behind her and Sam. Yeah. Watching this, watching this scene. There's no real close-ups on them, but they're back. You can tell they're there. That I like that touch of making sure that it's not just the the extras. There's like, no, the people who actually like care about these these people have have gotten involved just in their own way. Yeah, I I really do like that touch of staging by Burroughs. And and you're right, because I like because it's important to kind of see that everybody is kind of like drawn into this and drawn into her melodramatic freak out and her, her kind of depression. But it mm-hmm. also kind of shows in some way the gravity of her performance and how like like emotional and how like important this is for her that right. she she does become the center of the bar, even though she's not in the geographical center of the bar. But mm-hmm. that means everything else that's further away has to come closer. Uh, and yeah. it just sort of reorients mm-hmm. and recenters the setting. And I just, it's, yeah, it's just great staging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's one thing when Frazier is there because, well, Frazier has been, you know, yeah. someone who's a supporter of her. Right. Um, but to bring Norman Cliff over to it, that says a little something different. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so that even after 
all of that sort of emotional breakdown. We've still got like six and a half minutes left of the episode. <laughs> we get Sam and Diane into the office and she just sits down at his desk and she's like blowing her nose. And he's like, look, I gotta, I gotta tell you something and I don't want you to go crazy. And she's like, it doesn't matter what you tell me. I'm spent. I'm bereft. I, I'm absent of any kind of emotions. I'm, I'm dead. And he's like, okay, I did copy that poem. <laughs> just very flat and delivered. She just goes, you are scum. <laughs> How can so much trauma be so funny? That's one thing I don't <laughs> I think we all know that comedy is pain. I think we all know that, but it's still, it's one thing just like to step back. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. She is really going through something here. Uh, right. But yeah, that, and, that's just deli- del- perfect delivery on that line. Yeah. And then he confesses that he did. He's like, he's like, I stole the poem, but I never thought they would publish it. And she's like, well, it had obviously already been published in the first place. And he goes, no, no, it hadn't. She's like, then where did you find it? And he's like, well, it was in a letter that you wrote to me. And he takes it out of a, out of one of the filing cabinets behind his desk and shows it to her. And she's like, one of my letters. And again, the brilliance of Shelley Long, the changeover mm-hmm. of this, like when she's re- reading the letter again, and it comes back to her like, the whole thing that we just saw her go through the freak out outside of the bar and then mm-hmm. to come in here and be like, I am dead to emotions. You're scum and just not have any inflection. Like just, just be kind of so calloused and then reading the smile that creeps over and you see the light returning to her cheeks. And she asks, mm-hmm. like, how could I have not recognized this exquisite fluidity? <laughs> I started laughing myself. Like that was very, very closely my favorite line of the episode. I was just like, oh, yeah. oh my God, Diane. You can't. <laughs> like it's that's all it took to bring you right back to the self-indulgent, right. pretentious person. Mm-hmm. That she's like, of course, I, what an idiot. I couldn't recognize the brilliance of this poem because it's my own brilliance. It's like, that's Jesus, right. Diane. <laughs> well, you know, Sam even sums it up right before she says that by saying, and when you didn't recognize it earlier, I decided to play it out and rub your smug little nose in it. <laughs> yeah. And like, she doesn't care about that. It just goes right, right. over. Her. She doesn't care that he, what he said. Yep. He's like, yep. yeah. She, her heart grows of, three sizes that day. <laughs> all of the different mood changes she goes through in the next couple of mm-hmm. minutes. Cause she's at first, she's just, she's thrilled to have the mystery solved. And then the she's like, Hey, I was published. These are my words that has your name on it, but I'm I'm the author of this. So mm-hmm. she's just so ecstatic about that. And she says that she's going to do what poets do. They're going to she's going to drink herself stinky. And she opens the door to leave. And then she's like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> she says, "This always happens. You always get away unscathed." And this is another one where this might be my favorite line episode. <laughs> you did a terrible thing because when she stops at the door. Mm-hmm. If you watch Ted's performance, he's like, "Damn it!" He's like, he, right. he, kind of, <laughs> he freezes because he's not sure what she's what she's reacting to, and right. I think in his mind, he's he's playing this out to the end of the of the thing where she's remembering where she's realizing that he saved her love letter all along, and mm-hmm. where this is gonna go, and he's waiting, he's bracing himself for that explosion, but mm-hmm. instead she's just like, no, you did a bad thing, and you should be punished for this, and he, he just kind of very sheepishly like, 
I know I did. And she's like, no, you didn't. That interplay between the way he said, yes. I know I was wrong. <laughs> yes. I, I love that whole bit with, the, with both of them, with both of them, you know, because of Diane saying, you did a terrible thing. And he, he's like, hang dog. I know it. No, you don't. Because, <laughs> yeah, he's doing exactly what a little kid does when they get this. So it's like, yes, I know I did the wrong thing. And then the parent can say, like, you're just telling me that because you know what? I want to hear it. <laughs> and, you know, it's, and I just, yeah, the whole bit is just so good. I mean, well, and as you said, it's a Shelley Long's performance all through here. It's like the way she, the way she delivers these lines too. It's like, drink myself stinky. It's like just <laughs> yeah. beautiful. It's like, you did a terrible thing. No, you don't. It's, like, it's just amazing. <laughs> just amazing. Yeah, and then, because then she's like, she's like, I'm going to make you suffer for this. I'm going to punish you. He's like, what are you going to do? She's like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she almost sounds like she's already drunk. Um, like oh, yes. Of this. Yes. Um, but then she's like, wait, I do know. You're going to go out and you're going to confess to the whole bar. And he's like, you mean I have to tell everyone out there that I'm not a poet? <laughs> and then like, once her back is turned, he's like, almost snapping his fingers. Like, whoo, got away with this yes. one. And then... Yeah, but- Boom, we get the next turn. Mm-hmm. And she's back in his arms and she's kissing him. And he's like, oh, hey, I remember this. And she's like, you saved the letter. And that's like the, the next one. He kept that love letter all along. This mm-hmm. proves that he does love her. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I just found it in my apartment. And he's trying to deny it. And she's like, look me in the eye. And I, I mean, I kind of give it credit for the episode for taking it this far. Because mm-hmm. this was something that I mentioned a couple episodes ago. I was talking about another one of how love can make people do cruel things as much as uh, like generous things. And, and mm-hmm. to, to know somebody that well and that intimately where Sam alone has no difficulty at all looking at her dead in the eye mm-hmm. and lying to her and just saying, I don't feel what you want me to feel. Like we're done. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because that's what he wants. Maybe that's because he's hoping, but he can pull it off. He can, he can do that. And she's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm sorry. That's how you feel. I, I'm going to leave before I make my, a fool of myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as soon as she's out the door, he reveals to himself and to the audience that he's actually kept all of these letters safely, like tucked away, wrapped actually in a bow. Um, mm-hmm. But he wasn't quite the liar that he thought he was because she snuck back in. And again, just like the sound, the cadence of her voice when she's just like, aha, like, got yes. you. Like, like she doesn't like say like j'accuse or something like stupid like Diane would say. She's just like, I got oh, you. She's like so yes. caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, the, the last thing is like, he's going through this whole box of like trinkets and everything, trying to prove to her that the, these letters mean as much to him as a couple of unused double A batteries and some, some Tic Tacs and stuff. And she's just like, nope, we're going to be married someday. And she's just kissing him as he's trying to uh, accept this. So. Right. A couple of things is that that box that he has them in that he pulled out of the cabinet, uh, out of his filing cabinet. I think I have a box that looks exactly like that when I was um, um, in high school and college. It was yeah. a little toolbox. Now, you know, just showing, you know, my, you know, how much you know, cred I have, you know, to be a cool guy. Um, I was playing the bassoon at the time for band. And that was where I kept my bassoon reed making tools. So, you know, <laughs> mega cool people. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Right. 
but I also still kept that box for years just to hold tools. I, you know, I, I, I've used, I have a big toolbox now because, you know, I need tools now, but you know, the sm small tools is perfect for that. So it was just so funny for me to see. It's like, okay, I recognize that box. That's crazy. <laughs> just weird, just strange. But I love Ted Danson's performance with the letter because he has that ribbon. He's very particular about how he undoes it, how he redoes it. He puts the letter in. He has a very specific spot that he puts it in either because he doesn't want it to be on top. He has something else besides the letters on top or it's like, no, this is where its spot is. Yeah, and there's some sort of order, maybe chronological yeah. or something like he knows them. Yeah. yeah. Don't know what, don't, can't tell what it is, but doesn't matter because he is being so meticulous in yeah. that moment. It's like, that's a sign of, yeah, this means something to him. Another side on Sam is that we all know Sam is a womanizer. He's used to lying to women. Sure. Now he doesn't, he doesn't do it for cruelty's sake. Right. He usually, he almost always, or I would even dare say always, does it because he thinks it's in the woman's best interest. Right. You know, it's like he's trying to let them down easy and not hurt their feelings. So, you know, I, it's not really a, ju a jump at all to when you look at it more as like Sam, as opposed to Sam and Diane, Sam very much can compartmentalize his emotions and do that. So yeah. that's also why re that's also why it just comes off so true. And that's why it's such a great writing for this episode to have that moment in here, because this is Sam. Of course he can do this. Diane just thinks that he wouldn't be able to lie to her. It's like, no, no. Even after all this time, of course he can't because he thinks it's the best thing for her. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. No, that's perfectly said. I think that's a great, great uh, analysis of their relationship and, and, and Sam yeah. in that moment. Oh yeah, this ending um, is just. But this, and then the ending is just. It, thankfully, they, the way they handled the ending and leaving it very, still, it's still, it just ends. It's still kind of open. We don't really see the end of the scene, and it's and that's better that way, right? Because right. it's anything else would kind of ruin it. Yeah, <laughs> anything else would kind of ruin it. Just having it like it's it's like oh we're back to, they're back here, <laughs> and it's like oh and and him as exasperated as ever. Yeah, I mean, it just it took me back to some of the the great episodes from some of the earlier seasons, um, and, mm -hmm. and I've been waiting for an episode like this from this season because this season has had some great moments and some great bits, but I don't like with, mm -hmm. with you know the, the exception maybe of abnormal psychology. I don't think it's had a really standout great episode yet, and this one felt like yeah, okay, this one was this is what I've been waiting for. One thing is that 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 actor who uh had the one line about miss can you take our order yeah <laughs> let's see his name was the actor's name is michael holden. michael yeah michael holden he's yeah. got a bunch of credits he does and actually this is his first of eight appearances on cheers mm -hmm. um he he does come back later on for a couple of seasons later on as just one of the background bar flies you know a couple times right but yeah yeah but he's yeah. got some good stuff like with quantum leap matlock yep. la law yeah, basically all over the 80s oh, and yes, then on, yeah. and more for our podcasts in, interests of lois and clark the new adventures of superman so and ties over there and time cop uh so but yeah he's basically he, he might have been just a um a guest actor here and there having a guest appearance or just a small part here and there but you know a lot of a lot of good stuff yeah all the way through the 2012 so you know lots of good things um, and I was also going to just take back, a, take a, take a step back and uh, talk about Diane's arc in this season. Now, I 
I've, I think I even wrote a podcast uh, feedback to you about it on one thing. And it's like, I'm not trying to justify and say that this, that everybody should like this direction in this season with Diane and Sam and how Diane's just trying to push them to marry. But I do want to ex- just exploring it a little bit. In a lot of ways, this is realistic. This is a realistic take on Diane's character. And this episode exemplifies that. That when she gets something in her head, she lives and dies by it and will not let it go. That is all the way back to season one with her convinced that Sumner Sloan, convinced that Sumner was in love with her and, you know, that this was that they were going to be married and everything and just did not give up on that in that first episode until confirmed that, you know, he had run off with his ex-wife. Um you know, everything, you know, in being in love with Frazier or like pushing for that more, even though she's still a feeling for Sam, she takes all these things to the extreme. And, and in her personal, she wants to be a, a, a great um, academic, a, a writer, an actress, an artist, you know, just take your pick of what she wants to, what she thinks. Yeah, she a, a dancer in convinced. a couple episodes from now. <laughs> exactly. That's coming up soon. And all those things, she is convinced that she can do these things. And it's one of the strongest parts for a character and one of her greatest flaws because she can see reality so clearly for everybody else, but not herself. Hmm. So she will, she is just lost in her own narrative <laughs> all the time when she, when she goes for something. So this idea that she, okay, I made a mistake. I'm going to fix it. Sam and I are going to get married. I should have listened to him the first time. Yes, it completely believable to me that she just keeps following this through. So I buy that from a character thing. Now, obviously, it can be a little bit pushy, but I wonder why are we all reacting so negatively to it? Because in season one, Sam was relentlessly pursuing Diane to the point of being an HR disaster with, <laughs> <laughs> with, with his uh, come-ons. Um, but this is, and so this is reversing that. That's the whole thing is that now Diane is the pursuer, but you know, whereas Sam was pursuing for casual sex, she's pursuing for marriage, a serious lifelong commitment. What about, is there something about that? That's really turning us against this thing. Is it the material itself? Is it the way our actors are handling it is somehow casual sex, just funnier and thus not as, and more acceptable than talking about being marriage. I, you know, I just had to, I just thought, was thinking about those things and I'm just playing Mephisto's advocate of putting it out there that, you know, this is really season one, just twisted, just mm. twisted a little bit. And, you know, and I, but I also agree that we're really seeing the end of what the arc can be with Sam and Diane. So I think this is actually, it was actually for the best that this is what we're heading towards, but, you know, is this bad taste in our mouth just because of the, of the writing that's been done with it or the acting on it? Or is it really just like, no, we just don't like this. We just don't like this because we are more acceptable of having a man pursuing a woman than a woman pursuing a man. I, you know, just, just don't know. And you are nailing the analysis of these characters. This, this episode, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. For I've watched it. I've watched it three times since we've been talking <laughs> the last few minutes. So I'm okay. <laughs> just to help me keep, just help me keep it fresh. So that's, you can call, that, so good, you can call me the Diane apologist. I'm the Diane. No, apologist that's that's a season. good defense of her. That's a good defense of her character and and where she is at this point. And and I, I do think you're right. I was kind of 
I, I think you kind of expressed sort of what I was getting at is that this episode was in a sense dealing with the whole marriage thing, but kind of like wrapping it up in this, you know, disguising mm-hmm. it in Diane's obsession and refusal to uh, to see reality properly. And I think Heidi Perlman was just like, we need to deal with the marriage thing, but, you know, present it in a way that that makes sense for the character and for the audience to kind of get that, that this is what we're really dealing with. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, again, Heidi just, mwah, she's yeah. just, I'm, I'm loving and looking forward to episodes that have her name on it more and more every, all the time. Alrighty then, uh, getting into the superlative categories for this episode. For Norm's tab, he had three beers this time, which takes him up to 425 for the series. Mm. Well, he's taking, taking uh, it easy this episode with just three. Yeah, well, I mean, he was he was off screen for so long, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, that um, last scene, the la- the third scene, well, the, after the commercial break, it's like I looked at it, it's like, man, that's like two thirds of the episode is from that last commercial break. It doesn't really take, it doesn't split up nicely at all. In like two halves. It's like a two thirds is the last scene. Yeah. And actually, almost all straight through. Yeah. I actually, I, I did know something else about like Norm's beers. Like they're like, basically he had three beers because we have like three, like different time jumps. We have a couple of time jumps. So there's right. three distinct days in this episode. And it seems like every time he has a fresh beer that's like completely full, and I don't know if he actually sips or drinks anything. This episode, <laughs> he always has a new beer in front of him. But mm-hmm. right um, for the employee of the week, I, I, it's it's Diane. It's it's so obvious. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I, mean, I need Sam, to. Just, I think my good, my diatribe already covered up. already. Yeah, my diatribe covered my thought on it already. But yes, Diane all the way. Yeah, Sam is a good runner up and and mm-hmm. Woody has some really good lines, but Yes, yes. Agree. Yeah, I mean it's it's Diane's episode and not just a Diane centric episode. Shelley just runs the full gamut of emotions, of expressions, comedy, horror almost, depression, drama. She just she we see her at her highest and her lowest. Um and, and every shade in between is really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. so when we come to the home run, uh, <laughs> initially I thought that you are scum read because it's just so like void of any kind of emotion or cadence or something. But mm-hmm. I do think the, my favorite bit is when, is, is the back and forth when she's like, you did a terrible thing. I know I did. No, you don't. <laughs> I think that part might be my, my favorite part. Oh, uh, it's, it's wonderful. That's a wonderful bit it's it's mine's tougher because it's like boy there was so many so many good lines and they're not not necessarily the diane's diane's were not all really like laugh out loud funny lines uh-huh. um because you know like woody's <laughs> you know they use cardboard cutouts like you know you look almost lifelike here <laughs> yeah. so do you woody like, such good. great such great runners up but like i always just keep coming back to her monologue about the about the, the circulation the and how magazine. the magazine will get passed. That's just yeah. the beginning. You see the original 600 readers drop their copies on <laughs> buses and taxi cabs and doctor's offices. And another 600 people pick them up and take them to the airport where they go all over the country. Then they get taken on international flights, Tierra del Fuego, Sierra Leone, all the remotest parts of the world. And soon I defy you to find me a house, a hut, an igloo, or a wiki up that doesn't have a copy on the coffee table. it's like and she's so fervent and (laughs) and convinced that this makes sense that you know it's almost more the delivery than the line the monologue itself but Uh there's so much detail 
in this monologue <laughs> that I just that you just just sucks you in. So I, I I just adore that. But there's no shortage of good lines in this episode. No, you know, and and my other one just like. The, the turn, the way her face lights up. And she goes, how could I have not recognized this exquisite fluidity? Fluidity. <laughs> God. Uh, well, I also want to give props to Sam for, uh, first off, when Diane is super happy, we, we skipped over this part, is that she says, I feel like just, just the first time I, the first time I uh, rode a bike. Rode a bike, and, yeah. <laughs> and when and they later start Rob, getting... When she, when she starts kissing him, mm-hmm. he's like, you want to go back to my place and ride a bike? <laughs> <laughs> That was beautiful. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, um, Tim, uh, thank you so much for being on this episode. You really brought your A game to this one. Oh, thank um, you. Where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you in the podcastosphere? I think that they probably want to listen to this episode and then I'm done. I probably just am like, <laughs> I'm I'm done, Memphis. I'm out of here. No, but yeah, please join us over on the Right On Network. Uh, where you can find my show, The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast, where we talk about the 1980s series, Batman and the Outcasters, not Batman and the Outsiders. See, I can say words. Words are easy. Everybody, everybody can word. Um, But I'm also on the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast on that same feed and network, the Right On Network with a W. Um, You come out and join us uh, with AJ Wright and um, our frequent guest, Sarah Century. It's been an awesome time. and I know AJ's a fan of this show, just like I am. So I'm always glad to be back on Cheerscast anytime. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Oh, of course, of course. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on social media and leaving comments on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick Woo! from Jeff and Rick Presents, who sponsor this show. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast to support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, we are closed. What could you possibly have been thinking of, Sam? It obviously had been published to begin with. No, no. No, it hadn't. Well, then please tell me. I think you owe me that much. Where did it come from? Well, actually, it uh, came from a letter that you wrote to me. One of my letters? Hmm? And when you didn't recognize it out there, I decided to play it out and rub your smug little nose in it. I'm sorry, I uh, probably went too far. Oh my God, it's one of mine. How could I not recognize this exquisite fluidity? (laughs) The characteristic chamber's grace in the face of hard imagery. Oh, you told me that it stunk. Sam, I'm a poet, not a critic. (laughs) 